After quitting the news and releasing the podcast about why I quit, I received an overwhelming amount of feedback. I appreciated each and every word of encouragement and support, and I'm incredibly thankful for it. But the questions, too, came pouring in. What's next? What are you doing now? What career will you pursue next? What do you really want to do? What would you rather do for the rest of your life? Holy shit, I don't fucking know. You're asking me to date after a divorce. The TV news girl has been my identity since I was 12. Now, 27-year-old Amy has a hell of a lot to figure out. After calming the panic attacks over answering such questions, and with time to reflect, I was able to answer just one. What do you like to do? Well, I, I like to storytell. The best days on the beat were when I got to tell a story. A really good story. And that's what I miss the most. It's the only thing I miss about television news. So if I can't tell the stories of others, well then, damn it, you're going to hear my own. It's the morning of October 27th, 2021. Taking a final look in my bedroom mirror, I remind tired, well-dressed Amy, this is your very last day. And in just nine hours from now, the show will be over. In nine hours, you'll sign off television for good. You have nine hours until you have no real reason to be verified on both Twitter and Instagram. Nine hours until a decade of hard work and ass-kissing has no screen to show it was all worth it. That's heavy, and the perfect recipe for another breakdown. Until I remembered what nine hours would also bring. And that's the sweet, warm embrace of freedom. Chapter 1, The Mountain Call He was born in the summer of his 27th year Coming home to a place he'd never been before He left yesterday Turns out, John Denver, he kind of had it right there must be something about the 27th year, but for me, it was the winter, born again, as he'd say, in the snow-covered Rocky Mountains surrounding the small town of Fraser, Colorado. For those that don't know the area, Fraser is the definition of a true mountain town. Located 75 miles west of Denver, a straight shot across I-70 West and a long, slow crawl up narrow Berthoud Pass. Frazier is neighbors to Winter Park Ski Resort, the closest resort to Denver. Its main clientele are nice Midwestern folk on a family vacation, and Denver ski bros with an icon pass. The Frazier Valley is home to the headwaters of the Colorado River, breweries, dogs, and breweries with dogs. During the winter, it's a poppin' place. Winter Park Resort broke records this year, bringing in 18,000 skiers on a single Saturday in February. But the Fraser Valley has a whopping year-round population of 1,400 people. For most who live here, if you're not on the slopes, you're on a bar stool or working behind one. There's no secrets in this town or strangers, and even Blind Larry will know about your DUI before you get the chance to sober up. My new personal favorite fact about Fraser: it's known as one of the coldest cities in the world. Temperatures dropped to negative 40 for a few weeks this winter. 
When you take the train into Fraser, there's an iconic sign that I now understand. It reads, now leaving planet Earth. This mountain town, it really is a different world. But nevertheless, the sun, it's always shining. And if you want it to be, every day can be your wildest adventure. There's a saying about Fraser, Colorado, or so I've been told. The town is cursed. People move here for a brief mountain escape, and they never leave. You get sucked in. Winters turn to summers, summers turn to winters, and before you know it, you're a Fraser Valley local, plotting ways to tackle Texans on skis wearing football jerseys. There's a strange mix-up here. A restaurant bar will have the left side full of cowboys just getting off the ranch, and the right seats ski bros, who just finished their joint in the parking lot. While some may break the curse and escape the mountain life, the mountains sure do send a welcome call to everyone. From misfits to millionaires, there's something for everyone to find here. And I heard my call filming a wedding reception at S's Park. You should really consider it, the DJ said before putting his headphones back on. It was November 6th, one week after my last day on air. I picked up video work to keep busy. During a break in the wedding reception, I overheard the wedding planner mention how she also worked for Winter Park Resort and desperately needed employees this winter. Fuck it, I'll work for you, I said. Fully not expecting the wedding videographer to volunteer for a full-time waitressing job, I also surprised myself how willing I was to modify my professional references from state senators to the manager at that Thai food restaurant I once worked at when I was 19. I'll call you, she said. That night, I returned home, knowing full well this was goodbye to life as I knew it and successfully shoved it all into a storage unit. All right, we're gonna go around the room and introduce ourselves, my new restaurant boss said. What am I doing here, I thought, silently sitting in the corner during orientation, starting to wonder if I made a mistake. I scanned the room with my new coworkers and really questioned why I was wearing a dress to this event. Hi, my name's Amy. I came from Denver. I was a TV news reporter for the past five years. I quit. Now I'm here. Just don't ask. <laughs> Voicing the quarter-life crisis surprisingly made me feel a lot better. Seeing the confused but genuine welcoming smiles on my new ski bum server friends, I could hear my dad in that moment. Never let a good crisis go to waste, Amy. Never. I didn't know at the time when this would all teach me, but I knew when the mountain calls, you go. Chapter two, Bluebird Days. The first major adjustment came on moving day. I knew up front the deal was I'd be living in a hotel room. You see here in Fraser, in most mountain communities, housing is sparse. It's a legitimate crisis. New homes and apartments are often snatched up by the wealthy, looking for a vacation home to keep empty nine months out of the year. It's difficult for businesses to recruit employees. So hotels often step up, offering rooms as housing to local employees for a fair rate. My windowless, kitchenless, 
closetless, nine by seven room in a mountain lodge was too small to serve as anything more than a place to sleep at night, and it got the job done. It was a wooden box with a mini fridge, and the walls were so paper thin I'd be woken up every day at the same time by the boys opening their snowboard repair shop in the room below me, and the spring breakers stumbling in from the bar across the street. But nevertheless, mornings were always cherished. I'd escape my closet to a grand up-close view of the snow-covered Rocky Mountains, forming a habit of saying thanks, just to be right here. And the gratitude would flow easier on bluebird days. It's a term we use here in the mountains when the sky is a perfect shade of ocean blue and there's not a cloud in sight. Up here, everyone gets excited about a good bluebird day on the slopes. I knew early on there's a lot that this small mountain town could give me that life before would never see. A front yard in the snow-covered Rocky Mountains, co-workers that called just a check-in, and a morning commute that would make even the most liberal of man praise God bless America. The five-minute drive to my snowasis, it always had a soundtrack from the local radio. There's only one radio station here in Winter Park, and it actually had an audience. People listened to KFFR, a beloved channel run by the good people of Fraser, Colorado, and I'd be serving Jeff from the pub, advertising his taco night, a cup of black coffee later that afternoon. Life was so simple here, and making enough money to pay for my closet apartment was just as easy. Serving tables? I did it in college, and it only took a few days to unlock the skill of balancing a tray and telling customers to fuck off just using my eyes. A home-style barbecue joint at the base of the gondola was where I would now make a living, serving snot-nosed kids their third root beer and gross amounts of ketchup. About one week in, the universe supplied a healthy dose of irony. It was Sunday night, 9 p.m. sharp. Live from Denver. This is Fox 31 News at 9. We're on it. The 9 p.m. news I'd often open with a live breaking report was now on a large projector screen hanging over the restaurant bar. Fox 31's Amy Lewis joins us now with that exclusive story on New at 9. Amy. Yeah, this happened in the middle I of the I froze at the sound and almost dropped my tray hearing the 9 p.m. cold open. Locked into the opening sequence with Kim and Josh, giving me the rundown of what my former co-workers would report on that night. I wondered what story would have been mine if I hadn't quit. What road would I be standing beside? Would I feel okay telling the story? Hmm, that lighting could be a bit better. Ooh, are those new microphones? I am locked into this broadcast. Hey, can we get some extra napkins? The family of five doesn't notice the news or my Jimmy Neutron brain blast to the past. And some extra ranch. You know, just give us the bill. It's funny how fast things can change and how clout disappears. I was just two years away from shooting my shot for a spot on national television. But the Texan tourists here don't know that, how the girls serving their queso fries should be on that large projector screen they're happy to ignore. Why am I not sad? Genuinely confused, I look around. 
From inside, I can see the snowcats grooming the runs below the lifts. Fathers, clearly on their mancations, cheers to another round in an afternoon opera. A kid just out of ski school is handed a hot chocolate and the whole family celebrates. My fellow servers are planning our post-shift bar crawl. And tomorrow's snow report is looking good. I'll be back with your check, I say with a smile. Happiness. I never thought it could look like this. A dirty apron, no makeup, and orthopedic shoes. I wouldn't be recognized even if these folks knew of Amy Lewis TV. Hey, no more news when I'm on, I tell my manager, and she laughs while kindly changing the channel. I'm on vacation every single day because I love my occupation. Hey, I'm on vacation. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it. I'm on vacation every single day because I love my occupation. Do you ever think, why am I here? Another server asks over my shoulder as we scrape dirty plates into the dish pit. I think about his question for a second. But I realized I stopped asking myself that the first time I made $500 in five hours thanks to a tight, low-cut shirt. I believe I'm just buying time until I figure out what I want next, while paying off the debt I accrued from a small salary in a big city. Here, living and working on a resort, it was almost like I stopped time. I stopped life. Serve, ski, repeat. That was it. This was the daily grind. Getting outside to ski or snowboard was supported and encouraged with a free season pass for every employee. Several friends of mine racked up over 100 days on the mountain this winter. Besides worrying if that table of Europeans would tip you, most often the biggest daily concern was whether the powder would still be fresh by the time your shift ended. It didn't feel like real life because I guess in a way it wasn't. I wasn't sitting in traffic, cooking meals, Ubering to happy hours, booking yoga classes, grocery shopping, or scrolling the internet to keep track of the news. I was in a bubble, the Fraser Valley bubble. It was a similar feeling to working at a summer camp, but rather praising Jesus around a campfire at night, we were worshiping a fresh bottle of Rumplemints. I was happy to be released of my adult duties. Days weren't centered around work and errands. For the first time in my adult life, it was a hobby that consumed my thoughts. Okay. I don't want to brag, but how many people can say they've had full free access to stunning world-class mountains every day? Yeah, I wasn't complaining either. It was pretty sick, as the kids would say, but don't ask me to do a flip because I ain't there yet. I did get pretty good though, and it felt great just getting out and working hard on something that wasn't a fucking job. I physically felt so much better getting to move and stretch my body every day. This workout was not a $50 Denver yoga class. There was no greater feeling than hitting the slopes with your friends and then skiing to the restaurant together to work the same shift. The restaurant staff skied together often, and when you were all out there shredding the same sends, so stoked to be out of the kitchen, you'd forget how just one hour ago you were yelling at each other for not rolling enough silverware, or for getting ranch for table 45. It truly was a beautiful thing. I didn't dread 
waking up in the morning. I actually looked forward to it. It was no longer my job to deal with people dealing with the worst day of their lives. And the best part of the drives back to my shack was not worrying about waking up and doing it again tomorrow. Fuck, it felt so good just to really enjoy being alive for a bit. No, I responded to my inquiring worker in the dish pit. I know exactly why I'm here. Okay. Chapter 3, The Run-In. Amy! I look up from my sanitizing rag to see a former co-worker sitting at a table in my restaurant. At first, I was really embarrassed. The last time I saw this reporter was through closing elevator doors, making my final descent out of the newsroom for good. She was the last person I spoke to before walking out of the station. She wished me good luck as I embarked towards newfound freedom. I didn't know you worked here, she said. It felt good to see her, even though I never wanted anyone from my news station to see me serving tables. I never wanted my two very opposite worlds to ever collide. You see, typically, when people leave the newsroom for another job, they're graduating to something bigger and better, another honorable profession, using their experience and fine knowledge of the news business to double their salary and actually get a holiday off. Most become spokespersons for major companies who don't want to talk to the press, but know a former news reporter would have no problem answering questions on camera. Others become public information officers for organizations or first responders who need a well-spoken professional to communicate information to the public for them. Before pulling the trigger and putting in my month's notice, I did try to land one of these jobs, hastily applying to every open position a corporate company advertised. Media specialist, communication specialist, company spokesperson, public relations rep, social media manager, I tried everything I could to land a new job so I could afford to keep my luxury downtown apartment keep my social circle, keep my gym memberships, keep buying nice dinners, keep going out, keep my fucking life the same, but just ditch the shitty TV job. Eventually, I did get one call back. It was from a local school district that needed a communications specialist. I was so happy to be interviewing for another job because this could mean I have an escape plan. I remember so well the deep feeling of despair in my chest as he described what my day would look like if I took this role. Amy, you have to have a why, he said. If you don't have a why, if you don't have a reason for wanting to get up every morning and do this shit, you're going to hate your life. Damn, not again, I thought. Phone heavy in my hand, forehead on the wall, I thanked him for his time and blatant honesty knowing full well in a few days I'd call back and say, no thanks, I am not interested. There was no way in hell I was going to accept another job that had me back in a state of constant dread. I received no other calls for interviews. I had a choice to make. Stay in the news to keep a paycheck, to keep my life, to keep my clout, and to keep my progress, or I could put in my month's notice anyway and buckle up and hope for the best. Well, we all know which one I chose, and I can tell you, I never received any other job offers in that month's time. And while I was so excited for freedom and to leave the shit job behind, it was a horrible feeling, knowing I was about to lose my job thanks to my own doing and didn't have a backup plan. Jumping without a parachute, I felt pretty insane. But there was no way I could stay in a job where I woke up to look forward to the end of the day. 
Back in the restaurant, the embarrassment of seeing this reporter see me in an apron holding a sanitizing rag was fast fleeting. I was surprisingly excited to tell her of my new life, what it's like to have unlimited days off, to have hobbies, to not constantly be on and yet still have a decent paycheck. The most valuable part was having time to figure out what really matters, time to do really nothing at all, which I find completely appropriate to discover where you want to invest your life. You see, don't get me wrong, the immediate life whiplash did wear off, and by the time spring break rolled around, I was very ready to stop explaining what was in our pot roast world chase. I enjoyed bartending more than serving, because it was more of a challenge, but shamefully had to Google more than once, what's in a martini? Eventually, showing up to work was, in fact, work. Towards the end of the season, I moved out of my shack and happily put my orthopedic shoes back in its box. The honeymoon phase of living in a carefree bubble did wear off, but parts of this new life stuck with me. I know full well I'm not full of wisdom because I had enough guts to quit my corporate job and be whisked away to the mountains to sing Kumbaya. I'm not suggesting you quit your job to become one with nature. I'm not any sort of guru. I don't know what's right and I'm still figuring out what's right for me. But if there is one thing I know because I learned and can say with confidence to you is to take a fucking chance. Big risks come with really great rewards. And if taking the risk doesn't bring the desired results, it sure as hell will bring clarity, which can be hard to come by these days. A wise man once told me, Amy, at your age, the only thing that can kill you is debt and disease. Dad is always right. And when I narrow down my worst possible outcomes to just those two things, I can see the wide array of really good results. I think most of us, understandably so, make fear-based decisions. Fear of being alone, fear of rejection, fear of the unknown, fear of bearing regret. And I know that saying, oh, just don't be scared, isn't making shit easier. But God, there really is a rush when you just take a leap of faith to better your brain. If you're not happy in your current situation, walk away. Put trust in your intuition. Trust things will work out. Maybe not the way you had imagined them, but that's what makes life exciting. Despite what they say, there is no shame in taking time for yourself. If you have the means and are able, check some shit off your bucket list. Hit up that friend that you haven't seen in seven years but miss so much and crash on their couch for a few days. I promise it's much more rewarding than a small pay raise or jumping straight into another job. Since the days of news reporting, besides working at a ski resort, I've traveled the world, I've caught up with long-lost friends and family, and have held distant loved ones. As my good friend Michael Monarch once told me, life isn't a dress rehearsal. And in the words of every great ski bro, just full send it brah. Life I don't think is supposed to be taken so seriously. Life can pass you by while trying to make grand plans for it. And while I got to experience the extreme of what a simple life can be, I do still believe a life where loved ones, building solid relationships, and gathering experiences are the most important thing. It's not a crime to not put work first. Work hard, but don't sacrifice your life. In my search for freedom, my definition of it changed. 
Freedom, in my eyes, is having no fear for the future, knowing whatever happens, you'll be okay. You'll make it through, even if it means living in a closet and waiting tables for a few months. To me, it's so freeing to know there are no rules to this other than don't hurt people. In my search for happiness, I've found happiness is visceral. It's what disappears when the party ends. What's superior is feeling content. It's saying, I'm okay where I am right now. I might not be here forever, but I'm secure, making money. I have healthy relationships and time for hobbies. That's where my soul felt settled. I could think more clearly about where I want to go next. What big goals do I actually want to set and pursue? Having a simple life was just what I needed at just the right time. A shameless pause to feel motivated, redirected. Take a rest. Afterwards, you'll know when it's time to get moving again. But for now, take some time. It's a beautiful world out there, and your time is yours. Thanks for listening. Not reporting from the top of the Rockies. I'm Amy Lewis. I don't ever think I like did a chapter four. I think it's just that. Okay.